No, well, good evening, everyone. It's great to be back with you and, um, yeah, to be part of this exciting story that you're looking at together at the beginning of Exodus. And tonight we're in um, Exodus and chapter 6. So I think Tom's going to put the words up for us and, um, and we'll read, read it together. In fact, what I'm going to do is go back two verses into chapter 5 just for context and to annoy Tom, who's probably got the reading lined up. Um, so um, right at the end of chapter 5, you remember the moment has uh, come in the story where um, Moses and Aaron have meddled in the lives of the, pe- the children of Israel for the first time at God's command. And um, the result of that was that Pharaoh said, well, if the people have got all this time on their hands and wanting to go out to festivals and things, um, instead of that, they can make bricks without straw. So there they are, stuck in hot weather, which we can all appreciate now being... I expect, are you all trying to do a bit less during this hot weather? Um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm not allowed to say that where I work, but yeah, we all are, aren't we? Just trying to take it a little bit easier. Um, but for the folks here, it got a lot tougher. So that is the background of chapter 6. And um, in, in chapter 5, verse 22, it says this, Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of his mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they lived as aliens. Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. But Moses said to the Lord, If the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me, since I speak with faltering lips? Then our passage for tonight jumps down to verse 28. Now when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. 
Then I will lay my hand on Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to Pharaoh. Father, we thank you for your precious word. We pray that tonight um, what you've been teaching me, Lord, will have some relevance to the folks here and that, Lord, we will hear your voice speaking to us. So, Lord, we just prepare our hearts to hear what you would say, thanking that you want our good and to move us forward in our faith. We give you this time in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. So, um, this evening I I want to mention three things that um, had to be faced in the verses that we've read together. Have you ever been in that situation and you do what you think is right and it all goes wrong? You ever been there? You're trying to to do the right thing and somehow, um, despite your best efforts, everything seems to just uh, have made everything worse. And maybe you face criticism um, and that can be tough, can't it? When people are critical of you or speak about you and, and the first thing maybe like Moses you end up having to face is discouragement. Um, where do I point that out? Let's find out. Oh, there it is. There. Okay, so, um, yeah, the first thing that we, we think about here is we find Moses feeling discouraged. He'd done his best. He'd done what he thought was right. He'd done what God had told him to do, and everything had got worse, not better. And people were upset with him, and he sort of crawls back to God saying, is this what you wanted? It's all gone wrong. It's all got worse. Um, is this what it was all about. Just recently, um, well, for a few weeks or months, um, I've been thinking about the Lord's Prayer. And do you know how it starts? You should do. You all still know it. You're young enough to have learnt it in school or old enough, whatever, yeah? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. The Lord's Prayer starts with worship. And so it may be because that was in my mind. When I came to Exodus chapter 6 and started to read, the first thing I saw God's response to Moses in the way that he, he spoke to him between verses, say, 1 and verse 8 was to turn, first of all, Moses' eyes off of the problem and onto himself to draw Moses into worship. And he focuses um, Moses on four different things that crop up for us. Oh, here we go. Uh, And there they are, um, all coming out in very different fonts to what they left home in, but never mind. Um, (laughs) So in worship, these four things are here. Um, Sovereignty, power, faithfulness, and compassion. And so there's this sense of sovereignty, the sovereignty of God, right through these verses. Um, The Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I will do, what I will do. What I'm going to do is going to happen. I'm in control of this situation. When you get down to verse number 6, I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you. Um, 
in verse 7, I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know. Do you, do you get the idea? God spells it out to Moses and says, this is what is going to happen. In fact, it's already as good as happened, in my view. This is so certain. God is so sovereign in this situation. He also draws Moses' attention to his power. You will see what I will do to Pharaoh because of my mighty hand. He will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. And so there's this sense in which he draws Moses first to his own sovereignty, then to his own might and power. Also in verse number five, Moreover, I have heard the groanings of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. I've heard them. I've heard them groaning. I'm not immune to all of this. I'm not sitting in heaven with my you know, headphones on not, uh, and ignoring everything that happens. I hear these people groaning. And so he, he makes sure Moses knows I'm a compassionate God. I'm involved in this. And throughout it all, he then goes back to um, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and he reminds Moses of his faithfulness. I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Over the generations, God has not changed. Listen, folks, if you're facing discouragement, stop what you're doing and spend a while in worship. Look to God. And this isn't just a list of things. This is things that are in this scripture for us. The sovereignty of God. Stop and think about your situation where you may feel a bit down and a bit discouraged like things have gone wrong. And think to yourself, is it an accident? Have things actually fallen out of God's control? Has God sort of somehow taken his eye off the ball? Stop and think about the power of God. Is the power of God too weak for this situation? Is that why it's gone wrong? Is this why this whole bricks without straw episode happened? Is it because God's lost power? Think about the faithfulness of God that generation by generation by generation is there and is faithful and he keeps his promises. Think about the fact, you know, is the bricks without straw because God doesn't care? Because God had noticed that his people were upset and tired and broken. No, he'd heard them. And and in understanding something of these four concepts of who God is, you, you can't help but be a bit encouraged, can you? That God is there. But you find this, and you only get to it if you take time to worship God. To fix your eyes upon God. To turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. A.W. Pink, the author of a fair while ago now, hundred and something odd years ago, but a wonderful man of God, said this. Prayer, in its, in its highest and fullest sense, rises above gifts vouchsafed, The heart is drawn out in contemplating the giver himself so that the soul is prostrated before him in worship and adoration. In other words, our prayers aren't caught up with the gifts and what God gives to us and, you know, asking for things and thanking God for things. They are caught up with God until our souls are prostrated before him in worship and adoration. How's your prayer life? 
When I first started looking at the Lord's Prayer, I asked around and in our house group and things, uh, what do you pray for when you pray? I wonder what you'd say if I asked you that tonight. Two things come back quite commonly. One is, well, I give thanks to God for the day and things I've been doing and all of that. Um, uh, and I ask God to look after my family and help me to be you know, a good person or help me with this situation, whatever it is. Uh, do you pray about anything else? No, that, that's it. That was a fairly common response. You know, thanks, which is great. Always with thanksgiving and praying for situations and loved ones, um, maybe for people to become Christians, things like that. Um, but I sort of got the impression, and believe me, I've asked myself as well, that some of the people I asked never spend any private prayer time in worship at all. The idea of just coming before God to focus on him, to worship him, to contemplate his sovereignty and power and faithfulness and compassion never occurs. How's your prayer life? What do you pray about? How much time do you spend as an individual, simply there maybe with scripture and your own prayer life, focused solely upon worshiping God? Never mind if you don't get around to praying for anyone or anything else or giving thanks even to begin with but simply in worship of God. And folks, that's where it begins. That's where it is right. That is where, as a human being, you are doing what you designed, are designed to do. We are designed first and foremost to be worshippers of God. And that's why God turns to a discouraged Moses and says, for a while, Moses, just look at me. Think about my sovereignty, my mighty hand my faithfulness through generations, my compassion for these people that you're so worried you've messed everything up for. Focus on me. The thing is, you see, when we worship, not only do we do what is right towards God, but actually it does us the power of good as well. When you magnify something, do you make it bigger? Do you? So if I hold a magnifying glass over an ant, do I make the ant bigger? Sorry, oh, quite a lot of debate going on down here. Um, what do you think on this side? Do we make the ant bigger? In this weather, you probably catch the poor thing on fire, actually. But um, Do you make it bigger? No, you see it bigger, don't you? You don't actually. So when you magnify the name of the Lord, do you make God bigger, stronger, better, more faithful? No, what happens is we see him bigger, yeah? And that's the thing, you see, when we worship God, we see him properly. It's almost like a beautiful side effect of worship. Not only are we magnifying him and glorifying him, but in our hearts we start to see him big. We start to see the God that we serve and the God that we follow. And in doing that, my word, it's not long before we don't feel quite so discouraged, is it? When we know that God's still on the throne and he is mighty and he is compassionate and faithful. And suddenly the world doesn't seem such a bad place after all. And when you've done that, go on and give thanks and confess and ask and everything else that you need to do. But let's learn to worship God first. And see him big and stay there until we see him big. And lift him up. Well, there's a couple of things I just want to mention to you before we, we move on. 
Um, in verse 2, God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But, but, <laughs> but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. And so Moses was to know a name of God that he hadn't revealed before. The great I am, Yahweh, the Lord. And I just thought very simply when I was at home, um, it's incredible, isn't it, that we know God by names that Moses didn't. We know Jesus. We know God Almighty as Father. When you pray, say, Father, our Father. We know the Holy Spirit indwelling a permanent fixture in Christian lives in a way that Moses didn't. So Moses may have found, felt very privileged to have heard God talking about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the great fathers of the Israelite nation, and saying, but Moses, you know me by a name that they didn't. We're doing something new and wonderful here together, me and you. Oh, how privileged do we feel tonight to know Jesus? To know the name of the Son of God, to have read the accounts of his life. How privileged do we feel not to come and just say, Lord God Almighty, the great I am, Yahweh. But to say, Father, Upper Father, I'm here. One of your kids has come to talk to you. Isn't it incredible what God has brought us into through Jesus? And to know the indwelling power and permanent presence of the Holy Spirit within our lives. So God says to Moses, and he reminds him, I appear to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. Isn't that encouraging? Um, I've become friends with a guy who um, is a Christian um, called Josh Kernel. He's a singer-songwriter from down in Cornwall, and um, he sort of became a bit famous because he got through to the semi-finals of Britain's Got Talent as a singer. And so he, he's been up to Plimstock and come into schools, a couple of different schools for me a time or two, and sort of chatted to the kids and shared his faith and shared some singing and some uh, work with some of their musicians and things a bit. And... Um, spent some time with him and one of the things when he's talking to the children about looking after his voice he, he tells them that he was given a voice coach while he was on Britain's Got Talent and then he does the name dropping bit and he says it's the same voice coach that Adele had and then he says it's the same voice coach that some of the guys in One Direction had Megan just swooned at the back then for a minute. <laughs> and um, you see, that, that's the name-dropping bit. But somehow, when you know that you've got the same voice coach as Adele, you know immediately you're in fairly safe hands, don't you? You know? Um, that someone's going to be looking after you that knows what they're doing and that it's going to be all right to listen to what this woman has to say to him. And so Josh was able to pass on to the kids some of the tips about singing and looking after their voices and that for those that were interested in in being or in doing some singing. The Lord comes to Moses and says, Hey Moses, I'm the same God that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had. Well, that's pretty encouraging, isn't it? Straight away from Moses. If you're feeling a bit discouraged and you say, Hey, <laughs> I'm in safe hands here. This is the same God that right at the beginning pulled out Abraham and sent him on his way and watched over the fathers of that nation. God hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. You're in safe hands. You have the same God watching over you that watched over Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses 
and David and so on and so on. Isn't that encouraging to know? The same God that looked after the Apostle Paul is looking after you. The same one that guided Peter through the the days of the Acts is the God that looks after you. You're in safe hands. Um, So, yeah, let's just move then before we go on to our, our second thing. Just down into verse number six. No, that doesn't feel right. Hang on. Oh, yeah, verse 6, I am right. I I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I I just want you to notice a pattern here um, in verse 6, 7, and 8. It might be a pattern that you're very familiar with, Um, It's jumped again, but never mind. Um, We're going to have to sync our laptops at some stage, Tom. Um, So it's a pattern, first of all, in verse 6, that is one of redemption. I'm going to redeem you. And then in verse 7, it says this, I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. So the next step of the pattern is relationship. And then in verse 8, It says, I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand. I will give it to you as a possession. And so it becomes a story of reward. Does that sound familiar? In what God wants to do in our lives today, are you aware of this? The first thing that God wants to do is to redeem you. To break you free from that oppression that that sin has on us. The addiction, the power, the judgment and everything else that sin has. But the cross is never and never was meant to be an end in itself. We don't arrive at the cross of Jesus Christ. We don't get our sins forgiven. We don't get redeemed and say, that's it. That's the end of the story. I'm here. I've got my ticket to heaven. My sins are forgiven. Great. The cross was never an end to itself. The cross was there so that it could bring us, by the work and the blood of Jesus, into relationship with God. And this is the same story that Moses is told for these people. I will redeem these people out of Egypt that I may be their God. That they can come and be my people and it will be me and them. And we'll be close. I will be their God and they will be my people. And we will have this relationship. And God always, that the plan for us was always that we should know him. You are saved. You are redeemed to know God. But the story didn't end there because then God said to Moses, and then having brought you out, the whole idea is that I will bring you in, into a land, a land that will be your own. It will be the place of faith and obedience that will become the place of victory and fruitfulness. You got that? He's going to bring you out that he may bring you in, And the place that he will bring you into will be a place of faith and obedience which can become the place of victory and fruitfulness. That, I think, is the picture of Canaan, the promised land, the place where the people walk by faith and obedience to God. That he may work in their lives to bring about victory and fruitfulness. So, can I just ask... Where are you on my, my thing up here? Have you been redeemed? Has Jesus Christ set you free from sin? 
And if you have, have you seen that as a stepping stone to relationship with God? Are you in a relationship with God? Do you know him? Spend time with him. Can you truly say, he's my God and I'm his person? I follow him, I know him. And have you stopped there or or have you realized that God is then leading you into a place of reward? A place where you can live a victorious and fruitful Christian life. I, I hope so, I hope you've moved through that. That you haven't stalled somewhere along the way. Well, Moses reports all this to the Israelites and Surely everything will be all right now. (laughs) Verse 9, they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and cruel bondage. So Moses is going to have to um, face something else. And because in verse number 12, Moses said to the Lord, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me? since I speak with faltering lips. And then the authors um, jump in here and give us some family record and picks up the story again down in verse 28. And again, verse 30 almost repeats it for us. Moses says to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? And so having faced feelings of discouragement, Moses now faces feelings of inadequacy. I'm stumbling over my words tonight. I do apologize. Inadequacy. There, I got it right. Ever been there? (laughs) Ever felt inadequate to do something that you feel God is calling you to do and giving you to do? Well, that's good because God's power is made perfect in weakness, first of all. God works in us. I think it is best when we really acknowledge our weakness and our need of him. But interestingly, in this particular story, which is our passage tonight, um, in chapter 7, the Lord says to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. So interestingly, God's answer to Moses' feelings of inadequacy is to provide somebody else to do part of the role for him. There was never meant to be Lone Ranger stuff in uh, the body of Christ. It was always meant to be a team effort. Each of us bringing our gifts, our abilities, that we can work together. And if people are getting discouraged and feeling that they're struggling, often the answer is founding somebody else coming alongside who can say, actually, I can do that. I can do that. I, I can step in here. And God provides other people for us so that we don't get crushed under the weight of it all. And so God sent Aaron and Moses together to share the work that was in front of them. And so Moses' inadequacy is answered by teamwork, by the body of Christ coming together to play its part. How terrible for Moses if Aaron had said no. If Aaron couldn't be bothered, or if Aaron was too scared and hadn't turned up, how difficult that would have been for Moses, who was feeling the strain. I wonder in our churches how often that happens. Somebody soldiers on, struggling, doing something that's not really their gifting or within their ability, but there's nobody else there. Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? 
Can you tell me if I asked you afterwards tonight, are you able just to turn to me and say, yeah, the Lord's gifted me to do this, this, and this, and this is how I use it here at Great Parks and in the community. This is where I serve. Um, I found my gifts. This is what God's given to me, and I use them to honor him. Lovely if every Christian could say that, wouldn't it? If every Christian knew what it was that God had called them to do and got on and did it, how much smoother the body of Christ would operate. And I want to mention one more thing while we're here because God starts them to explain to Moses between verses 2 and 5 what's going to happen. And he talks about um, what he will do and say and how Pharaoh will respond and then what God will do and then in the end how the people will be led out and and all of that. He gives Moses uh, a sort of overview of everything that's going to happen. And I've just put up one sentence for you to look at and think about. And it's this. In everything, have some concept of the overarching plan of God. Okay? Think about that for a moment. If you're facing stuff, whether it's discouragement or inadequacy or a host of other things that we're called to face in life, have some thing in your mind of the overarching plan of God. If Moses had gone into all of this thinking every battle would be won in an obvious and easy way with the first swing of the sword, um, the first time he loses a fight or loses an argument, um, then he's going to feel pretty discouraged. But God gives to him some idea of the bigger picture that God hasn't necessarily planned that every step is going to be easy or obviously victorious, but rather that step by step they will work through the big plan of God until things have fallen just into place. God never meant that Moses would walk in and say, hey, Moses, let my people go, and Pharaoh's, sorry, hey, Pharaoh, let my people go, and Pharaoh would say, "Um, all right, then, off you go, and that would be it. I mean, Exodus would have been a lot shorter, wouldn't it? Um, And we wouldn't have learned half as much about God, and we wouldn't have understood anything like as much about what Jesus was going to do one day. God had a much bigger plan than just changing one man's heart, or even than just letting his people go. God was writing history here, history that would affect not only Moses and the people, but us today, right through the church generation, that we should know and understand more of what God would do through Jesus. And it was useful for Moses to get some idea of the big picture. Have you got some idea of the big picture, of the cross, of the resurrection, of the church, how the saints would suffer for the church and for the kingdom of God, how faith and character can be formed in the heat of battle. But it's a battle that we'll win and one day Christ will return and judgment will come on evil and all will be put right and we will be with him forever. When we stop and think about the overarching plan of God and roughly what's going to, you know, that we can take from that, that that life is going to be like for us, we don't hear that and expect there to be no pushback from the evil one, do we? You know? There's this big battle at the cross, and there's going to be this big day when Jesus returns. And in between, we know there is a fierce battle between good and evil, between Satan and God, between the church and the kingdom of darkness. 
If, if we go into this just expecting health and wealth and po- prosperity, I mean, we are going to get pretty discouraged pretty quickly, aren't we? Because life ain't like that. But when we get an idea of the big picture and where we sit in it all and the age in which we live, then we don't get immediately discouraged when we hit up against a a difficulty. But we have some idea of the overarching plan of God. And when we do that, then we think, oh, this is to be expected. should be tough. We're in a battle, but we're going to win. God's going to win the war, and all will be put right. Doesn't that lift our hearts when we stop and think like that? Um, So we come down... um, To our last little point, having thought about facing discouragement, having thought about facing inadequacy, um, I just want us to think lastly and briefly about the fact that now they face challenge. And in verse 8, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. And... If you take a moment just to turn back to chapter 4 and um, the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, Moses um, answers, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. And then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand, take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake and it turned back into a staff in his hands. So now we get that instruction repeated to Moses um, as he's preparing to go up and speak to Pharaoh that the staff will become a snake. So what had God done before this moment? before the the big moment comes when Moses has to go and actually speak to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh's about to challenge him as to who he is and what power and what right and authority he has to come before Pharaoh and demand things. God had prepared Moses for this moment. In the quietness out by the, the wilderness, God and Moses had already had this discussion and this demonstration. He'd already seen the staff turn into a snake. And so the challenge is going to come. Pharaoh is going to look at this man who's dared to come into his presence, basically say, who are you? Uh, And Pharaoh is going to say, perform a miracle before me. Let's see who you are. Let's see your credentials to be standing here today. Hey, by the way, do you ever get challenged about your faith? Do you get people asking you what you believe and why and why you're right? What about all the other religions? What about suffering? Do you get challenged about your faith? I hope so. You've got to give it to Moses and Aaron here. The first thing that we notice is in this is this, that they got challenged. That Pharaoh looked at them and said, well, what's your faith worth? Let's see. Let's see its power. If you don't ever get challenged, maybe that's something you want to think about. And secondly, it's this, it's preparing to meet the challenge. God had prepared Moses. They'd already done the, snake into, the staff into a snake routine. Uh, uh, and Moses knew what he was going to say and exactly what was going to happen. Peter told us, didn't he, always be prepared to give an answer 
to anyone that asks you for the hope that is within you. Do do you prepare what you'll say? If you met someone tomorrow who said, how can you believe in a God of love when there's all this suffering in the world? Would you know what to say? Have you actually spent some time reading about it? Thinking about it? Praying about it? Asking others, cleverer people, that's what I do. Ask them what they'd say. Um, Prepare your hearts. Be ready. Prepare your minds. Know what you can say, how you can answer things. Think it through. Moses did. So that when he and Aaron stood in front of one of the greatest superpowers on earth, he knew what was going to happen. Because he'd been through with this with God in the quiet place. He prepared when it was just him and God. And so Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron threw his staff down in front of Pharaoh and his officials. And it became a snake. And Pharaoh then summoned the wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things by their secret arts. Each one threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. So those guys lost their staffs. And yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Well, did you see that one coming? Moses bravely does what he's prepared to do, exactly what God has instructed him to do. And then there's a bit of a kick in the teeth, isn't there? Because the other guys can do it as well. Um, I bet you didn't see that coming. Thankfully, though, um, his staff showed itself or his snake by this stage to be the most powerful and to swallow up the other snakes. And then Pharaoh's heart was hard towards this. That didn't, you know, he didn't fall down in front of Moses and say, whoa, dudes, that's so amazing. I'm just on your team now. Nothing like that happened. Um, You could have said it didn't work, apparently, at that moment. Moses did what God commanded him to do. Aaron spoke the words that God had given them. They did the miracle God had given to them. And apparently it didn't work. Pharaoh was not won over. But God's long-term plan did take its next step in unfolding. The thing is, you see, let's um, just wrap this up. They were prepared. Secondly, they were obedient. They did their part. They went and did what God told them to do. They faced a challenge. They gave the answers that God gave them to to give. And then they left the results to God. And you get to do that as well, and so do I. God sometimes calls us, uh, calls us to speak up for him, to say something, to talk to somebody about our faith, to faith, face a challenge. And when we do, the results are in God's hands. He gets to work that out. Our part is to be prepared and to be obedient. And in preparation, may I say, we can prepare. Don't go in then and sort of press a button that says play. You know, I need answer number eight. And, um, and that's it. In those moments, rely on the Holy Spirit. The Lord said to his disciples, don't worry in advance what you're going to say. That, now, we can prepare our hearts. We can learn. We can know what we can. But in the moment, depend on the Holy Spirit and he will give you the words to say. Don't worry about opening your mouth. Don't worry about facing challenge. 
God will be with you in that moment. He will help you. To those of you that preach, um, years ago I heard the advice that it's good to prepare as if there was no Holy Spirit, okay? So for me tonight to imagine that God's not going to be here to help me, that means I prepare properly. But when I get here to preach as if I hadn't prepared, to let it go and to let God do what God wants to do, to prepare as if there was no Holy Spirit and then to preach as though I hadn't prepared. And that goes for witness as well, to prepare, to be ready to speak, ready to give an answer, and then to throw ourselves onto God and say, Holy Spirit, come and speak through me. And when we've done that, when we've obeyed, to leave the results to God, to place it into his hands. You might have followed the case of the Asher's Bakery in Northern Ireland, um, the MacArthur family seen Daniel speak about the situation they've been in there. And loads, thousands of people have been praying for them through this. Have they won every court case? Not by any stretch of the imagination. It's been tough. There's been no mighty click of divine intervention that's made everything all right. It's been really hard on them to stand up for their faith and what they believe to be right. But the results are in God's hand. He calls us to prepare to obey, to depend on him, and then leave the results to God. Not every battle may apparently have been won immediately, but he calls us to be faithful. And if we do get discouraged, well, we can worship. We can worship until we get some perspective. And if we do feel inadequate, well, we can rely on the body of Christ to come around and be what we need. But tonight, as we come to the table, let's spend some more time in worship. Let's look at Jesus. Let's look at God. And in doing that, it will set us up for the coming week that we may serve him. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. Sometimes we face negatives, Lord. We get discouraged. We go through difficult times. Teach us to worship you, Lord. Not only when we're together and in song, but, Lord, on our own as well. May we learn to be privately people that worship, that focus on you, so that in this world we have some perspective and we can keep going and face those challenges that come along where we can speak for you and stand for you and make a difference for you in our communities and homes and schools and jobs and everywhere that that life may take us. Help us to be ready, Lord, to be your people, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.